Welcome to the Nude Attitude, where we shatter the mirrored ceiling, worship our sexy selves, and talk about all things holy. This is a safe place where we will be throwing around confidence like confetti and applauding people flaunting their bodies no matter the size, color, gender, or ability. I'm your host, Madeline Gregg, and we're about to dive into the lady pond or whatever gender you prefer to sink into. So raise your glasses high and cheers to your slut side in this nude revolution. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we're going to start with some icebreakers and we'll start with what's your name and what do you prefer to be called? Hello, I'm Gabriel and I prefer to be called Gabriel. What are your pronouns? He. What's your sexual orientation? Uh, Often and with enthusiasm, but traditionally uh, heterosexual. What's your favorite position? Ooh, the list is long and distinguished. Reverse cowgirl is just magical. Okay. Um, what's the last porn you watched? Hmm, I should probably remember this. Uh, it was probably something with Lexi Luna because I've been into that for a little while. What is that? There's a porn star named Lexi Luna, I think. She's got the hot teacher vibe. So. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Um, what's the most amount of people you've had sex with at one time? 19. That's a good number. <laughs> <laughs> I went back and counted. Usually people are just like, oh, I had a threesome. I'm like, that's so vanilla. And now I'm like, oh, okay. You have turned red, so it works. I've turned really red because you outdid my number and... <laughs> That's the first time it's happened on this podcast. <laughs> um, so what, um, what do you think your most attractive feature is? Uh, my hands and my face. What feature do you struggle to love the most? The rest. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, what feature do you notice in someone that you're attracted to first? Uh, smile, for okay. sure. Followed very closely by eyes and hair. Okay. And how do you unwind? Uh, taking the dogs for a walk, uh, then promptly leaving them at home and walking another two miles. Okay. <laughs> Are they bad walkers? Uh, they're they're management dogs. They require a little bit of extra attention and detail and keeping one of them who is quite fearful away from things that will cause him to react poorly. So, yeah, we used to have a dog like that. Um, she was terrified of strollers and no amount of like treats and positive like vibes or like, and it just didn't, she was manic. She needed medication. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, poor buddy is on medication, so it helps take the edge off. Yeah. But, exactly. I mean, everybody in this house is, so it works. Hey, okay. Same. Well, relatively. Um, so I asked you on this podcast um, to speak about monogamy. 
Um, and people who don't know, I always do a pre-interview and it kind of turned into a consent talk. So that's what we're going to be discussing, consent Absolutely. non-monogamy. So what sparked your interest in non-monogamy? Uh, being young and enthusiastic. Um, I was freshly out of the military at the time and was pretty much riding on cloud nine. I was still alive and nothing could stop me. And there were very few things in this world that I didn't try. Um, and I fell in with a group of people who were uh, supportive and uh, uh, generally as a group polyamorous, uh, kind of a, a spider web of connections between a group of 20 or 30 people and and it just kind of evolved and my life moved forward from there without ever a traditional uh truly sent judeo-christian monogamous relationship from there so what's the status now with your relationship my wife and i are what we lovingly refer to as monogamish um we uh, have both come from relationships prior to ours and then our marriage that led us into a place where the satisfaction of just that one person in our lives was more than enough to keep us content. Um, mm -hmm. However, we both know that we have some enjoyments beyond a traditional monogamous relationship. And so that is an open possibility in the future though not one we're actively seeking at the moment. Okay. On the same topic, but yeah. just sliding down that slide, how do you ask consent from your partner to be non-monogamous with them? Oh, um, are we talking in the context of approaching a new relationship or an established? Um, well, I would feel like it should be a new relationship because you shouldn't start an established, or you shouldn't have an established relationship. Yeah. Um, without their consent or knowledge. <laughs> uh, no, consent is absolutely key and important. Um, honestly, open and vulnerable and honest communication is the key to all of it. You know, it takes a while to develop a level of vulnerability with a new person to the point where you're able to open up about what your emotions and needs and, and feelings are, at, you know, with new relationships there's the you're riding the high of the excitement of oh there's this new person and sometimes those thoughts of well what are my future goals or what has made me happy in the past get forgotten uh, and everything gets kind of lost in the tunnel vision of that new relationship but as someone who has uh, been down non-traditional relationship paths for many many years I have found that having that conversation up front as you get to know someone is so very important. And with that comes a letter, a level of, um, I want to say almost risk of rejection as you say, Hey, this is me. This is kind of how I've lived my life so far. And I'd love to get to know you a little better. And uh, a lot of people will be, kind of intimidated or sometimes even afraid of that. But 
I've found that if you remain true to who you are and communicate honestly and with positive intention and, um, oh, I just lost the word that was in the back of my brain there. If you communicate honestly and with good intention and with compassion, there we go, about who you are and what you are looking for in your own fulfillment and in your own life, then I've found that people are, are usually more willing to listen and to hear. And one of the downsides of a lot of conversations, especially as you're starting to meet somebody new, is a lot of people stop listening so much as they start talking and seeking. And when you say things like this, this is who I am. This is, you know, I'm not exactly a, a traditional monogamous person. Sometimes you don't stop to listen to what their response is. And that's so important. You know, it's honest communication and communication skills in general are so important. I think it's really interesting from your perspective because now you're in a marriage where you have been um, very non-monogamous in the past. Um, a lot of people ask me and talk to me about um, starting a non-monogamous marriage when they have been monogamous for many, many years. Absolutely. Um, so I think your perspective is very interesting. And with that, you know, we, we entered this relationship kind of, my wife and I had been friends for many years prior. So there was a lot of that, you know, this is who this person is. Mm -hmm. uh, was kind of established and out of the way. And that was a conversation we had very, very early on when we started dating. Like, hey, is this okay? Are you comfortable just dating one person? Or on the flip side, are you comfortable dating somebody who is uh, very flirtatious and, and gregarious in their own nature? And uh, really what it came down to was communication and trust. And I'm very, very happy to say that uh, we have worked it out very seamlessly. Um, you know, we know that it has been something that was a part of my life and even her life to an extent prior. And we know that it's a possibility someday, mm -hmm. but really not actively seeking in the moment. And uh, we, we kind of joke that right now the main course is plenty. I'm pretty full. I don't need any snacks. <laughs> I think right now is a really good time to point out that non-monogamy and polyamory, it's not cheating. Absolutely. Um, because cheating is crossing boundaries and cheating is the lack of consent and cheating is not having that open and honest communication. Absolutely. Prior. And if you do have a primary partner um, while you're exploring non-monogamy, that primary partner needs to know. They need to consent and they need to be Absolutely. really enthusiastic. You know, I've found that non-traditional relationships or non-monogamous relationships are, when done well, when done healthily, are more honest and open and healthily communicative than many, many traditional monogamous relationships. You know, there has to be a level of honesty and there has to be a level of vulnerability in order to maintain a healthy connection with your partner. Uh, a great example, uh, my wife and I had something pop up here recently where uh, there was a gentleman trying to flirt with her and she 
didn't really catch that that was happening until after the fact. And, and uh, when it was communicated to me, I had this moment of jealous reaction, this moment of, of insecurity on my own. And the important part to remember there is that, okay, so you had this reaction. What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And so we sat down and we talked and, and I say jealous or, or insecure reaction and really insecurity was the important part to that statement. Right. Because jealousy isn't, it's, it's not a core emotion. It's, it is not. it's a reaction. It's yeah. a reaction. It's, it's where you are right now, but it, there's always something that comes from jealousy. And just because you're jealous of something doesn't mean that you need to work through it. Are you jealous because you feel sad and left out? Are you jealous because you feel angry? Well, angry is not, anger isn't a core emotion. Yeah. Um, but in this case, it was uh, a, a touch of insecurity built yeah. on this really crazy twisted world that we're living in right now and the uncertainty of the ground beneath our feet on top of, you know, us being together all the time. So there's that moment, okay, you're living in isolation. There's that moment of, of comfort and and sometimes that discomfort as you're next to the same person every day living in isolation trying to live healthily and you know sometimes that leads to a little almost a feeling of distance i'd really dislike the expression but if it's that familiarity breeds contempt Mm -hmm. expression you know when you're with the same person every day sometimes you you uh, take that for every day feeling that was so special in the beginning and it becomes commonplace and you have to remember that no this is important this is special and this person chose to spend their time with me and so that that moment of insecurity in that conversation the important part to take away from that is that okay we are two people who have lived in non-monogamous relationships in the past of our lives we know that that's not something we're actively seeking right now but I still had this reaction and that's okay because we talked about it. We worked through it together as a team. And even with, were we actively seeking outside of our relationship, actively seeking additional partners or even a partner for the both of us, Mm -hmm. uh, whether short-term or long-term, we we're human. We're going to have those moments where we don't feel secure or where we don't feel that everything's perfectly on the level and what you do is you talk about it and you work it out together as a team. Well, you just answered my next question. How do you combat jealousy? <laughs> because just because you're non-monogamous or in a polyamorous relationship doesn't mean that you won't be jealous. Absolutely. It's a normal human reaction. It's just knowing how to work through it and knowing how to speak for yourself is how you work through it and you're able to overcome it. I've found that the word truth is, I mean, we can get into a philosophical debate about the word truth for days, but I'll get you for the next episode. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The speaking your truth matters when it comes to dealing with your emotions, being able to honestly and vulnerably, that's a word, right? I I said the word, right? Right. Vulnerably. Yes. Okay. It's late, whatever. (laughs) Speaking with a vulnerability is being able to say that, you know, this is what I'm feeling right now. And I don't know why I'm feeling this. How can we work through it? And I'm very delighted to say that I have a wonderful partner who 
knows how to listen. And, That's really, really important. And I have, even though I'm a, a deal older than her and, you know, been kind of traipsing around the block a little bit longer than she has, I still have learned so much about being able to be honest and vulnerable and listen from our time together. And I think that one day when we get to a point where we're like, hey, you know, let's let's go grab somebody else's ass with consent, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, when, when we get to that point, we will continue to do it in a way that is truthful to how we are feeling and truthful to how we treat each other. True. I think it's also really important to point out, I'm going to say this a lot during this episode, that yeah. love does not equal monogamy. Absolutely. It's a feeling, and monogamy is a house rule. And sometimes could, house rules are different in each house. We could get like really down about history lessons about where the legal marriages came from and like when a traditional monogamous relationship was established, but I don't think we're going to have enough time for all that. It's okay. I took notes before getting on with you. There we go. <laughs> I mean, that's a first. I've never heard that one, but. What, talking notes? <laughs> well, it wasn't about you. Well, I did take notes about you in our pre-interview, but no, I, I did. I actually did some research. Um, and looked at some studies, um, and it's really, my findings are very, very interesting. Yeah, I have long believed that uh, uh, to venture just a few steps down that philosophical path, that the concept of love, the, the capability of love for each human is not limited. You are capable of love that for yourself, for others, for friends, for romantic interests, for your pets, for your family, for the trees, for the world around us and this very vulnerable planet we have. See how I slid that in there? But, <laughs> you know, we, we are capable of so much when it comes to the level of care, compassion, and energy we can give another human being that doesn't have to be defined so you walk into a relationship, even if you choose to be monogamous throughout your life, you still love other people. Correct. You just may not actively or intentionally love them romantically. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I take, take you, Maddie. I adore you. I love you. I don't awesome. love you. I don't love you romantically, but that doesn't mean I can't love you. Yeah. Uh, Most people you, do. It's fine. It's fine. You're wonderful. <laughs> Uh, I, I love my wife very dearly. I love my friends very, very dearly. I don't think we are limited in the, what we are capable of doing as far as love. When it comes to romantic or sexual relationships, you have to add something on top of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you can love this person. You can care about this person. You can have compassion for this person. But the moment you take just giving the love, giving the, the care, compassion, and energy, and add to it, mm -hmm. then it's a different game. So if we are talking about uh, having multiple partners, or being in a triad, or being a swinger, being uh, somebody who dates around, or even being somebody who's just traditionally monogamous, you have to remember that you are not just dealing with your ability to give them love, you're also dealing with your body. 
Right. And at that point, there's a level of consent that has to come into the picture because you're dealing with not only your emotions and your body, but you're also dealing with your partners. Yes, and, and your other partners. And your other partners. And maybe your partner's partner. <laughs> we did, uh, <laughs> uh, when uh, I still lived in another state and uh, I was in a, a very non-monogamous crowd, and there was the uh, the Venn diagram of who's dating who oh, <laughs> at yeah, the time. It can get very tricky. And now imagine one person in that diagram uh, comes down with the flu. All right. Or let's talk like right now with, with COVID or, or an STD or anything. Think That's about all the other... Yeah, think about all the other people that touches directly and indirectly. You know, this particular person uh, was ill and still saw a partner. And then it turns out like a huge portion of this group, we all got sick out of nowhere just because one person was irresponsible. Yeah. And irresponsible to the community that they were attached to. And you can use the word community or you can use the just the word partner. So uh, kind of bringing this back around to where my little diatribe started, you know, the moment you are engaging in either sexual or romantic and sexual or kinky interactions with uh, BDSM scenes, etc., having the consent of that person and having the consent of the person that person is connected to. Yes, matters. And the open communication. Being able to say, hey, I find this person attractive. Uh, if you're in a kink scene, I would like to uh, tie this person up with uh, shibari or I would like this person to spank me or you know, whatever. Being able to say that to your partner brings in a level of vulnerability and a level of trust that you have to have with them before you ever get to that third or fourth or fifth partner in the scenario. Very, very true. So just because you have multiple partners or an extra partner or however you see your non-monogamy life, commitment does not equal monogamy. You can be committed to all your partners. You can be committed to anybody, but it doesn't, but it doesn't mean that you have to be monogamous. I feel like more often than not, people are committed to the idea of commitment and commitment in their brain equals monogamy. That's not necessarily true. Well, and we have been in many, many ways from childhood programmed to know what commitment means. Everything from diamond commercials, I'm sure we can all quote various diamond companies. I'm not going to name them because you might be listening from another part of the country. So you might not even know who we're talking about, but, (laughs) but you know, you, you know, what do you get your partner for Christmas? Oh, it's Valentine's day. What are you going to get that special someone? We have been, I'm like, pay (laughs) yourself. I'll pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. No day after Valentine's day, half rice candy day. Yeah, it's a national holiday. Yeah. And then, yeah, we all cuddle and watch a movie. It's great. (laughs) But we have been, taught from a very young age that you go you 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 grow up 
you go to college, you get the job, you have the wife, you have the kids, you, yes. you have the husband, you have the kids, whatever. We have been taught that this is kind of the pattern. This is the social norm, the societal norm. But as much as you uh, have the capacity to love more than one human being, you also have the capacity to be honest and committed to more than one human being. Very, very true. You know, think about your... Um, uh, standing obligations you have in life. All right. So let's say you've got a job, you've got uh, a group you hang out with, let's say playing soccer, like a community rec league or something. Mm -hmm. And you've got your family at home. That's three different groups that you maintain regular commitments with. So I'm going somewhere with this. So you have those three commitments in your life and some people are really passionate about their sports. Yes. Right. And they put all their energy into it and it's what they do. And how is that any less important to them than the other relationships in their life? So they're putting this same energy into this thing they're passionate about. You go to work, you, you, uh, you grind. You know, a lot of people have nine to five jobs. You grind hard. You, you do the job. You, you work all day. You're very committed to that job. You're very committed to your career mm-hmm. and all of the people that that touches. How is that any less important to your life than a relationship with another human being? And so we are already carrying half a dozen commitments in our lives regardless of our relationship status Mm -hmm. so how is that any different than committing in an open and honest and communicative way to another human being very true i think this segues pretty well yay i got a good one yeah (laughs) so did a little bit of research fire away Um, A 2016 study um, from the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy found that one in five Americans have been non-monogamous. And another one, another survey, said that one in three prefer a non-monogamous relationship. So So I have a question for that. The question is, what what will it take this was a viewer question, actually. What will it take to end the stigma around non-monogamy? Oh, man. Since all of America, basically, wants to be uh, well, non-monogamous, or they're fucking freaks, or whatever it is. Well, we're all freaks. A good the- majority of Americans, they want to have sex with multiple people. They want to love multiple people. Whatever polyamory is to you, that's what they want to be. But there's still such a stigma around it, especially in America and especially in Western society. I challenge you. I challenge you to reframe the question. Okay. So, so much of of you know the the people that committed to this study want to be non-monogamous or can or have pursued non-monogamy. Whether they define that in the study, which was the the immediate light bulb that went off in the back of my head was, are they limiting that away to only consenting 
non-monogamy? That was my question too. I didn't find that. I didn't find how they worded the study because it's really interesting when you, like I've, oh God, I've talked to a lot, a lot of people about non-monogamy and specifically the way that like their partner sees it versus the way that they see it. Sometimes their partner just wants to have sex with only women and both of them can only have sex with only women. Sometimes mm -hmm. they just want a unicorn. Sometimes there's a whole bunch of stuff. I Everybody adore you for using the phrase unicorn. Yeah. Everybody has non-monogamy. Like they see non-monogamy in a different way. They do very much so. So the way I challenge you to reframe the question is at what point will we... This question <laughs> uh, well I'd, I'd challenge the viewer whatever your name is i i love and appreciate you for your honest moment and the challenging question you have placed before us and i challenge you back to consider when will we as a society embrace loving ourselves enough to be honest about what we want out of a relationship because i have found so much of the people who are able to comfortably and healthily pursue non-monogamous relationships have a level of honesty and vulnerability that they are able to embrace. And the only way you can be honest and vulnerable is by giving yourself just a pat on the back and a little bit of love. And we have stigmatized mental health so much as a society that, you know, we especially on the male, the traditional male side of the spectrum, you know, you're, you're strong, you're quiet, you don't share your emotions, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. I, yeah, that's such bullshit. We cry, just in case anybody was concerned about it. As a, a former soldier of the United States Army, I have bawled my eyes out. So, As you said. big burly tattooed guy, like, it's fine, we all cry. But learning to love yourself enough to be honest and to be vulnerable in the moment to be able to express what it is you need out of life and what it is you need out of a relationship before you ever get to the point that you've you've come too far and you can't have that conversation healthily feel that so it is a bit of a reframing like we as society we very much need to work on embracing people who choose to live in relationships or lifestyles that are not exactly what uh, society views as the norm. But with that comes people loving themselves enough to pursue what it is that makes them happy in an honest, safe, and consenting way. So or that, you're saying in a very roundabout way, they just need to come out about it and more polyamorous people need to come out about it. Well, I think you should be honest about what it is you're doing. Absolutely. But say I'm, my name's John. I, you know, I'm in, in my thirties and I'm kind of, I, I want to pursue non-monogamy. I'm single. The next person I talk to, I need to be honest with them mm -hmm. that I want to pursue non-monogamy. And we have programmed I'm going to use the male side of the spectrum as a heterosexual male. Um, we have programmed our society of men to not express vulnerability 
and to mm-hmm. not express that level of of uh, honesty and to put up a front to to be the person that we're told we have to be well why not just be fucking honest with yourself and then you can be honest with everybody else around you and because they're being honest with themselves they will accept your vulnerability and appreciate you for being honest All right. I mean, blank I was phase. the whole time. <laughs> the blank phase on Maddie's, like, whoa, he went somewhere with that. Yeah, we are getting awfully, like, philosophical and, like, scientific. Uh, well, welcome to how I think. I'm sorry. Welcome. Uh, a short version of your, an answer to your question, viewer, is I think we should be open and honest about what we are. Right. And be able to tell your friends, your family, your neighbors that, yes, I am non-monogamous. And that's okay because my lifestyle choices don't affect you and I'm still just as honest and healthy and considerate and conscientious as everybody else. Be vulnerable, take that leap, be honest about who you are and the people that will accept you are the people that you should have had in your life in the first place. So did you tell your parents? Yes. How did that conversation go? Oh, um, I have been very, very honest with my mother for a very long time to the Mm -hmm. point where there are times where she has just stopped asking me questions. Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't hide who I am. I, even when I was in multi, uh, uh, paramour situation or in a polyamorous relationship in several instances throughout my life, I was honest about it. And I was open about it. Uh, My previous relationship, I was the partner of a married woman. And that was consented up front throughout that whole conversation. Um, And, you know, we are not together anymore. And he and I still talk occasionally. It's, I have been honest with my parents, uh, my dad a little less so than my mother, not because my father's a, a particularly unaccepting person uh, just we don't we're not quite as close so we don't talk quite as much mm-hmm. but I have been honest about my uh, relationship interests and or kink interests throughout my life uh, the hey these are the things I do this is what I'm into love you mom <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, close over uh, next time so you can wash them <laughs> no 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 i wash my own laundry yeah (laughs) but i having a great example of that kind of level of vulnerability with your family uh, i actually told my mom from a very young age that i didn't want children and i told her that i had a vasectomy when i had it and um you know that that's that level of, of honesty and upfrontness and communication that i've had with my mom since jump and I think we have a very healthy relationship because we are very honest with each other. I love that. So to get into a little bit, I mean, it depends how you answer this question, but I would say a more fun um, topic. Uh, do you have any stories about non-monogamy or your partners or the 19 people you had sex with at one time? <laughs> so. I lived uh, in another state at the time, and my partner was uh, uh, 
a very fun and adventurous human being. And uh, we were at an event at my home. Uh, we hosted parties regularly. Uh, and more often not, than not, after about 10.30, there were far less clothing. Um, and the upstairs of this house was um, designed as a movie theater. And we had Harlequin painted the walls. Mm -hmm. And the downstairs of this house, there was a gorgeous tiki bar that we had built. Um, and so in my room, which was upstairs, I was messing around with my girlfriend at the time, my, my primary partner at the time, and in walked another couple and started watching. And then they started enjoying themselves. And then in walked uh, another single and then another couple and then so on and so forth. And next thing you know, literally only one person had any clothes on. Um, and my partner and I finished and laid there and participated in, in the couple to the left and right of us. Uh, and then yeah, cause I could imagine there wouldn't be that much room. <laughs> oh no, it was a full size bed. Okay. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was on the floor. It, yeah, it was all over the place. It was a 10 by 11, if I remember correctly, room. Um, that's, that's so not we, fire code. No, no, we, we definitely violated fire code. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing too terribly kinky in that moment. Uh, but I'd say 19 people roughly on the same bed having sex qualifies as decently kinky for most so people. So this is a very interesting question to bring up right now. But like in that situation specifically, how do you consent? So in that situation, in that situation, uh, there is, there has to be immediate conversation. Uh -huh. uh, somebody, somebody comes up to the door, they kind of tap on it, they kind of nod like they want to come in and you wave them in or you don't. That's up to you. So you're your own bouncer, basically. You, you have to be. Even if you are in the middle of having sex mm -hmm. and somebody walks in the room, you have to be your own advocate. Yes. And so in that moment when the first person came in, they looked, the first couple came in, they looked at me, I looked at my partner, we established consent and then invited them in. Mm -hmm. Next Sing, and I'm going to come back around okay. to how that evolves. Yeah, so next that's a really interesting concept to bring up to you next. So next person that came in, I looked at them, looked at my partner, then looked at the other couple. Everybody established consent. The other individual came in. And at that point, at a certain point, it gets hard to manage. Like there's too many, too many dicks. There's just too many dicks everywhere mm -hmm. so how do you establish consent in that moment uh, great example uh, my partner looked at me looked over at this other individual and said go ahead if you want to and then at that point I look at that person and say do you consent are you okay how do you feel 
you wanna, do you not wanna, like you have to, however you choose to word that in the moment, you have to ask just because they came into your room, climbed onto your bed naked and masturbated while you had sex with your partner does not mean you have consent to penetrate them. Well, and it might not be mean that they necessarily want to be touched. Exactly. That's the thing too. So, exactly. Really so you have to communicate, you have to be your own advocate. Correct. So a very interesting concept is I feel like in a lot of vanilla relationships, I say vanilla with air quotes, mm-hmm. um, it is yes until no, meaning, you know, everything's fine until one person says no. Until it's not. Right. Yep. In kink, BDSM relationships or non-monogamy, I feel like it's no until yes meaning you have to ask, you have to get consent right then and there. You don't just start doing and then hear if they want to do it later. I will challenge you to expand that even further. It is no until yes, until no. Well, correct. I mean, like you literally, you can always stop whatever you want. Yeah, you, for, but the original green light, it's always yes. no until yes, meaning hands uh, off until verbal consent. But even then, I, at least as an individual, I try to establish that it's red light until it's a green light uh, method or or no until yes uh, pattern in my monogamous relationship with my wife. We, you know, we're we're both kind of freaky. We we got the things we like, but we still talk about it. Correct. And well, yeah, uh, well, that's just feeding into what I just said in any kinky relationship or non monogamous. Not that you guys aren't non monogamous, you're monogamous. But if you uh, say, go back to my example of John Smith, you know, my name's John Smith, I've been dating this girl for a while, I think it's hot, I want to smack her while we're, we're fucking, and I want her to smack me back. Okay, cool. Is she consenting to that, or are you about to assault this woman? Right you have to establish consent. You really, really, truly do. And even with uh, just traditional, big air quotes, vanilla sex, you still have to have that consent at the beginning. And I think even in married or committed long-term relationships, whatever, unless there is consented non-consent, Mm-hmm. in the relationship you have to every single time get consent yes. because your your body is the single most sacred thing that you carry with you your entire life and it is the only thing you get like you only get one yellow <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, you ought to look out what yes. <laughs> basically we 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 only get one like your your body is sacred to you, however you choose to use the word sacred, you know, in a, a religious or spiritual or or whatever context, your body is. Uh, I totally lost the analogy. I'm just going to say your your body is your temple. Paint the walls black and and cover them in leather if you want to, but it's yours to make the decision of what you do. Yeah, but it. eat healthy after you know you painted in black and smacked it with leather. Oh yeah, you know some <laughs> orange juice, a cookie, like yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. But your partner 
whether it be a long-term relationship, whether it be a kinky playmate, uh, whether it be somebody you just started seeing or somebody who's coming in to join you and another partner for a, uh, a snack. You know, we, we have to get their consent. So say another human came and joined within, uh, joined my wife and I. Mm-hmm. in in sex and on in the bed we immediately like okay this is okay this is not okay you know she trusts me when it comes to some more aggressive some more kinky things i trust her when it comes to some more aggressive some more some more traditionally kinky things do you trust this new person what are the boundaries you establish for that person so using the the frankly orgy on my bed as an example you know you have to sit there and converse with that person immediately regardless if it's a person you've you've had sex with 10 times because in this case it was but you still have to get that level of consent from them in the moment and i think that's something we are not taught as a society especially a society full of macho idiot men. Yes. We're brought up in the society of yes until now. And we should be brought up in a society of this is their damn body. Let them consent. Not you. Agreed. (laughs) No until yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, So this is kind of a funky question, but I have a lot of feelings about it. Who should not be monogamous? Or non-monogamous. Who should not be non-monogamous? Who should stay monogamous? Ooh, I feel like it's really dangerous to paint broad categories with that. Uh, I think uh, that will vary person to person so much. Um, I can, on the flip side of that, say if you are somebody who has been a serial cheater throughout your life, learn to talk about it first in a consenting relationship and just deal with the fact that you you a hoe and you just need to have... Because this is an anti-slut shaming No, no, no. Yeah. Like hand raised here. Yeah. Be a hoe. I'm a hoe. I'm a true hoe. But be honest with it. Yes, I am very, very obviously. Yeah, be be honest about it, and you know if you can't be honest about that, at that point you are violating that other person's life. You very are true. are endangering their physical health. You're endangering their mental health, and you are are endangering your relationship, your stability, everything that comes with that societal standing for many people, which is unfortunate but true. Mm-hmm. Uh, though divorces are far more common these days than they used to be, there's still, you know, a whole lot of stigma that comes mm-hmm. with them. If you, you want those statistics, because I have them right here. <laughs> I believe you. Fire away. <laughs> um, 2.2 million people got married uh, in 2018 and 600,000 got divorced. Sounds about right. Yeah. I think the idea of marriage is pushed way too hard. Mm-hmm. Yes. Agreed. And I say that being married. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. 
I was never going to get married. I never thought I was going to get married either, to be honest. And yeah, then it, I thought I was going to be alone in a high-rise condo with a couple dogs. How'd that work out for you? <laughs> it's not my life. <laughs> 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 I mean, I have a dog, but nothing else is like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had this vision of what life would be, and then my wife was with was somebody else. Um, I was actually the officiant at their wedding, if you want to get even crazier. Wow. Um, and then I was single for a while, and then he wound up leaving her. Mm-hmm. And uh, because he couldn't be honest, he, I mean, he wound up cheating on her and leaving her for the other person, and he still cheats on that person. Oof. Like, that's a person who can't be honest with themselves. Yeah. But you know, we wound up in a situation where it's like, oh, okay, we love, we trust each other, we communicate. Oh, damn. Okay, this is where this is. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, none of us, neither of us saw it coming. We were both going to be the, you know, just single or at least not married for a long, long time. And then here we are. It's a little off topic. How'd that work out for you? (laughs) Gloriously. I have literally never been happier in my life. Same. I mean, not with your wife. I'm not, I'm not with your wife, but yeah. I mean, you would be, but (laughs) so, and I'm actually going to use that as a slight parlay. Mm -hmm. Um, As somebody who has been in many polyamorous relationships, being able to flirt, being able to be a flirtatious human is a part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, and you know, there will be many people who might hear this who go, wow, that dude's sleazy just for saying that. But being able to communicate in a flirtatious manner while being respectful of your partner is something you can do. Yes. Well, hold up for a second. I feel like this is really important to point out. Gabe and I know each other. Gabriel and I know each other. Absolutely. Outside of this podcast, we, as friends, my husband and Gabriel, they're friends. I mean, I've totally got a crush on your husband, so it's fine. He has a crush on me, too. I told you what he said the other day. Gabe's wife got a game. Why can't I get a game? I want to play a game with Gabe. (laughs) 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 So, anyways... I was texting Gabriel about something. I didn't even remember what it was. Um, Um, I can tell you exactly what it was about. What was it? My balls. balls. He makes cake balls for his friends ever so often. And he just delivered some to us, his cake balls. And I was talking about the texture of them because they were a little different from last time. Could go into technicality of this too. But... I didn't think it got flirty. I asked if, actually, I asked if something, he said something like, hey, now, because I made a comment about his balls, his cake balls, and he brought up the idea of consenting to flirt, which isn't not, it's not necessarily a new one for me, but from somebody who I did not think that we were flirting at the time, I just asked if it went too far talking about his cake balls. And it did not, but I think the um, 
the important piece there is the fact that we were in a conversation that felt like it was leaning towards being flirtatious. And at that point it was, okay, pause, yeah. not red, not red light, just yield sign. Right. And, and what's really important to point out is I didn't think we were flirting in the slightest. I didn't even think that it was going to go to that point, but Gabe did, Gabriel did. So just because one person is comfortable with one thing, the other person might either not be or might need to ask consent because of their specific type of relationship. Absolutely. And I think uh, I I mentioned earlier, like you are your own advocate in -hmm. this moment. And this was a moment. And usually like, if you want to start talking stereotypes, it's usually the woman that's like, yo, bro we need to talk about this yeah well uh, the funny thing is like my husband was looking over my shoulder like we share texts the whole time yeah yeah totally we were like watching a movie or something and he was literally right there seeing the whole thing especially when i'm talking to his boyfriend so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i had consent but i didn't really think that it was necessary to tell you because i didn't see it going anywhere flirty mm-hmm and in that moment, uh, the, the, the exact comment I used was, hey, now. And that was just enough to open a conversation about what consent was in the moment. Right. It caused me to ask, did I go too far? And, you know, in, in this case, we will absolutely say that no, everybody's cool. Everybody's happy. Um, and she has actually messaged my wife and said hey I was flirting with your husband and I did and you know it was more like a I know that you know that I was flirting with your husband so just FYI that I know that you know I I know that that you know that we know that I know that that they did that we could that that I know yes (laughs) I don't even it's also you know that open honest communication with somebody's wife with somebody's primary partner that's really important Absolutely. You know, it just comes down to respect. Absolutely. I respect your wife. (laughs) Yeah, I'll respect your wife and I want to respect your wife. Not that like anything is going to go farther other than text flirting about said cake balls. Absolutely. Um, But it's really important to have that open, honest communication with all assets. Absolutely. And in that moment, I took a pause and you know, my wife has always told me that she loves the fact that I'm flirtatious. It is one of the things that makes her really attracted to me, um, even when I'm flirting with other people. But I took that moment, even knowing that my wife would encourage me to be a flirt in general, I took that moment to go back to her and say, hey, this is happening. How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Because it does come down to how you feel how 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 are you in that moment because you know if she had had a rough day that is probably not the day i should be flirting even Mm -hmm. though i generally have consent to be a flirtatious human and for uh everybody who's listening when i say uh being a flirtatious person uh Comments like I will X your Y or sending people pictures or making promises or acting on anything is 100% too far. Mm -hmm. And those are lines I have drawn. Right. 
you know, and that's important to point out that it's in your relationship that's too far. Absolutely, and I do mean that very much in the context of okay. So I've been encouraged to maintain that aspect of who I am. Uh, in previous relationships, it had been, for lack of a better word, stifled. Uh, you know, no, this is mine. You can't share that. Blah. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wind up being a miserable cuss of a human being in that situation. So being able to be gregarious, be flirty and and friendly and and have that level of um, vulnerability with other people is mm-hmm. very important to my long-term happiness as an individual. And so I am very careful that anytime I do feel like a conversation is flirty, I immediately establish consent uh, right then and there, uh, much as I did with Maddie in this moment. You know, Maddie and I are friends, didn't even think that that would be the direction the conversation went. And then there we were. Okay, cool. Let's establish consent right now. It's so important. Again, you are your own advocate. And the only time you, the only chance you have to establish consent is beforehand. Because if you don't, if I had been flirtatious in that moment, Maddie and I kept chatting and then it got back to our respective partners, your husband, my wife, that it had happened and they weren't okay with that. Mm -hmm. At that point, we have been dishonest. True. And I don't know about you, but I ain't got time for that. Yeah. Well, for Patrick and I, or for my husband and I, I've said this name before. I don't need to cover up for him. Um, (laughs) There's, we have a little different outlook on it. It, he's usually right by my side all throughout the day. Um, because we have children and we're parenting together. And especially when it comes down to like, we're both picking up our phones and texting other people, be it friends um, or other people. Um, we, we're we sharing funny things that are said. We're sharing like the conversation that you and I have. It's not just between you and I. It's absolutely two other people. They have a total right to look at that conversation because there's literally nothing to hide. I agree completely. And if uh, something actually my wife said to me the other day that, that I found really pointed is if I would feel uncomfortable about sharing my conversation with Maddie, with her, mm-hmm. then I have done something wrong. Yes. I'm, I'm doing, using that as an example because that is not at all the feeling that I have in this moment yeah. or that anybody else involved has expressed. But if I, if I am having a conversation with another human being and I feel uncomfortable to share that with her because I'm worried that I might have crossed a line, mm-hmm. th- then it's gone too far. Yeah. And it's also a conversation that you should bring up and not necessarily hide. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've known many relationships. Uh, hell, my, my wife's ex-husband, um, he would creep back through her phone. We refer to it as creeping. Like, what are you doing? I'm creeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would creep back through her phone to go and look at all the conversations she'd had, mm-hmm. but mainly just the ones with men. Yeah. You know, at that point, that's... Then he cheated, correct? Yeah, and in the end, he's the one who cheated. So yeah. we'll we'll just call that, like, 
you know, guilt imposed actions. But, <laughs> you know, at that point, like, why? If you don't trust your partner to be honest with you, and if you as your, and as the partner who is having a conversation with another human being, don't feel like it's something you can share with your partner, mm-hmm. at that point, there's a whole lot of self-analysis I challenge you to begin because that's a, a long conversation you need to have with Mir. Yes, very much so. Do you have any closing remark? Lay it on me. So in closing, uh, I think that the most relationship, the most important relationship you have in your life is the one that you choose to have with yourself. And with that comes, what are you going to do in your life to embrace and love and support both yourself and those around you? And with that comes that important question of consent. Am I going to love myself enough to be true to who I am while also being respectful and compassionate to those around me. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The Nude Attitude, a podcast focusing on radical body acceptance and anti-slut shaming from a true hoe. If you want to interact with upcoming episodes, ask questions, or request topics, please find me on Instagram at the period nude period attitude and on Twitter at underscore nude underscore attitude and on my website, thenudeattitude.com. I'm Madeline Gregg. Hope you keep coming back for more.